Hello, regular Drews. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy, happy New Year. This is happy episode Drew 75. Year, oh, yeah, say. obviously. <laughs> duh. Happy Drew Year, everyone. Um, I don't know why that didn't come to me. Um, yeah, this is episode 75, and we're going to be discussing today a very special book. <laughs> it is uh, Nancy Drew and Hardy Boy's super mystery called New Year's Evil. Well, aren't you a regular Nancy Drew? I learned that from the Nancy Drew detective. Okay, go. You think you can follow the clues and solve the case of the missing condiment, Nancy Drew? Because I've read every Nancy Drew mystery ever written. Nancy, please tell me you're joking. Wow, you suck at this Nancy Drew stuff. You should get a new hobby. My name is Carson Drew, and this is my assistant, Nancy. 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 Nancy Drew. It's curtains for you, Miss Drew. Nancy. Nancy Drew strikes again. A regular Nancy Drew. Let's see if I can't figure out which one this is. Yeah, I don't know. It was published in 1991. It's number 10 in the Super Mystery series. They don't put the okay. number on the cover. You no. just have to count it out in the list in the front of the book. But anyway. Yeah. Very odd. Um, yeah, no, we would, we just did started talking about this. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I feel about it, to be honest. Yeah. I, I was thinking, I was like, did I like it? Uh, I didn't dislike it. I don't okay. think. Um, but I just don't know. It was, and this is so weird because it was very, it was a very, like, for all intents and purposes, very exciting book. Oh, like yeah. a lot of high stakes action, you know, typical of the file series. Um, very, yeah, like a lot going on, a lot of back and forth. We got a lot of Frank and Joe in it. Um, so I'm a fan of that. But I don't know. There was something about it that just didn't grab me and didn't didn't make me like excited about it. I wasn't excited to read it, mm -hmm. even though it was an exciting book. Um, yeah. What do you think? The okay. I feel like we had a similar complaint when we did Shockwaves a while ago that there was just okay. too many people, too many characters, yes. too much stuff going on. <laughs> so I feel like the first half of the book was just like trying to Names. introduce all these people, Names. just name after name after name after name. <laughs> and here's their position on the job and like here's what they do and here's the, and yeah. here's another. And it was just that for the first half. And then the end was, I, I think, the most redeeming part. I really liked the ending of it. Yeah. It was fun with the New Year's party and everything. It was yeah, very festive. Right. I really yeah. like that part of it. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a New Year's book. It's got to have a New Year's party. Yeah. Um, so I enjoyed that. But the first half was just like, oh my gosh, and another person. And do we mm -hmm. really need this mm -hmm. many suspects? I get it's a super mystery. We're trying to make right. it, you know, bigger than just our normal formula of X number of suspects. But double the number might have just been too many, you know? Right. Yeah, no, I struggled to remember who people were whenever mm -hmm. we, I would read a name. And I don't know what it is. If I think it might just be that it was so many French names, and that really Fair. made me struggle. <laughs> like, 
I don't know why, but trying to rem- differentiate between Pierre and Francois, I was like, I can't, I don't know who is who. <laughs> I can't remember which is which. I don't know. There's like Pierre, there's Francois, there's Henri, there's like Danielle, there's Marguerite, like so many mm-hmm. French names. <laughs> so many, my brain couldn't handle it. Well, and it doesn't help that, like, they'll introduce first name, last name, and job title within the uh-huh. context, because it's set on a movie set, so that everybody, you right. know, this person's the director, so they give you that, but then sometimes they'll give you first name, sometimes they'll give you last name, sometimes yes. it's just job title, and then sometimes it's a nickname that's none yes. of those at all, and it's like, who is this person? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, yeah, sometimes they say Andre, sometimes they say Juno, sometimes they say Andre Juno, sometimes they say Andre the Snake Juno, sometimes they just say the snake. Yeah. <laughs> Or just the driver. It's like, who is he? Who is he? (laughs) Which one? I don't know. I don't know. It took me forever to figure out the name of the assistant director, Mm -hmm. Grant. I think his name is Grant. At first, I I guess I must have just missed his introduction or I couldn't remember it or something. But then I thought he, they like described him as like a set person. And so I thought he was just like, like a stagehand kind of a thing. And so I was like, who's this random person? And then they get to like the end of it. I'm like, wait, Grant's the assistant director? Like I had no idea. I had to like go back into the notes and like fix it because I just totally missed it. Totally missed it. Yeah. Unfortunately, if you have to make notes on who is who while you're reading, that's not a great sign. No. Um, but no. that is my main complaint though. It's just, yeah. maybe that's just a me thing. Maybe I no. just need to be a little bit more smart and keep better track of what I'm reading. But yeah. I, no, otherwise that, I thought yeah. it was pretty good. I had the exact, that was one of the first things I, the first note I made about the book was that there were so many people and names to remember. Right. Like it's just complicated. <laughs> like there's just so many different things going on and so many different like people that were following and considering suspects. I'm like, yeah, it's it's a little hard to to keep up and keep track. But I I mean, as confusing as it was, I didn't hate that part. I mean, like I think it definitely made it hard for me as a reader and I think it definitely like affected the story and like how much I liked the story, right? Because mm-hmm. it made me work harder. Um, <laughs> which I obviously don't want to do. Like <laughs> Oh, lazy reader me. But yeah, no, but I, I feel like it's a little bit more realistic. um, In that, like, if, if I were actually like going to a movie set to solve a mystery, there would be a lot of people with names and jobs to remember. And I would probably wouldn't know who was a suspect and who wasn't. I would kind of have to take like a broad, kind of a broad broader look at it in the way that they do in this book but yeah but yeah it was it was tough to 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 read yeah Mm -hmm. there are probably very few real life mysteries where there are only four suspects you know so this is obviously like there are going Mm -hmm. to be tons of people on a movie set any one of Mm -hmm. them could could have been involved so yeah it was very realistic but it didn't make it an easy read because of that reason no I did also think, though, that there were moments in the book that were just like very subtly hilarious yeah. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like the comedy I felt like in this book was really sophisticated mm-hmm. <laughs> for a Nancy Drew book. Because I think a lot of the times, at least in the mystery stories, you get a lot of like 
what I would consider to be kind of like gag jokes, like, or like physical things that could be like more physical mm-hmm. comedy. Um, but this one had like some like subtle, like some of the things that Frank and Joe would say to each other and oh, yeah. some of the jokes like between like Bess and Nancy, I just feel like was just so, so good. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah. So I appreciated that, but yeah, in general, I think there was just a lot, just a lot going on in this book. <laughs> oh, yeah. I do feel like, too, it was kind of a long one, um, a longer book. This book mm-hmm. is 200 and something pages, 200 and, or at least the version that I have is 214 pages. Yep. Um, and so it's a longer book, but it's a super mystery, so I feel like that's appropriate. Um, but it is a lot, it is a lot of plot to get mm-hmm. through. So <laughs> we may want to jump in here just to get to it. I feel like this would make a good movie. Yes. I had that thought too. Yeah. If you can pair mm-hmm. a face to the name, that'd make it a lot easier. The, yeah. You know, they complain about too many people that mm-hmm. might make that go away a little bit more, but mm-hmm. no, I thought it would be a great movie, especially with um, how it kind of mirrors the games, how we'll flip to Frank and Joe's uh-huh. perspective and solve the mystery as them for a little while and then go back yep. to Nancy and Bess. And it, it felt very, I don't know. It felt like a good way to adapt something. Mm-hmm. I would, I, there's nothing that I would love more than a string of Nancy Drew Hardy Boy's super mystery movies. Oh. Like, just like a series of movies, like like Scooby-Doo movies, except not animated. I wouldn't want them to be animated. I wouldn't be live action. Right. Uh, you know, of just adaptions of these books. So I do feel like the super mysteries are very well suited to adaptation. Like, yeah, I don't know. There's something oh, yeah. about the drama and like just there's there's so much they're action-packed there's so much going on Mm -hmm. and I feel like the mysteries are pretty compelling usually like high stakes and like not immediately obvious like this one I it took me a minute to figure out who it was who Mm -hmm. was our culprit I I I had an idea um but I wasn't like super sold on it until like a very specific thing happened um and then I was like okay well that makes sense now, right? And we're not really looking too closely at him. So I'm like, okay, so it's got to be, it's got to be him. But it wasn't like immediately obvious. And so that's a, that's a big selling point to me yeah. oh, for yeah. a Nancy Drew book, um, especially when it comes to an adaptation, because when you're on screen, like there's so many things that like mystery, like shows or, or um, movies do to like kind of clue you into the oh, culprit yeah. mm-hmm. um, that a book can't do. Right? We can't we can't see through the eyes of the you know the culprit the way that we could in a movie or a TV show. But I feel like that that kind of um, that kind of like lack of like clarity around who the culprit is would really would really benefit in like a movie or a tv show does that make sense yeah that's not a super clear idea but <laughs> i feel like it would be helpful yeah no i know so, what you mean yeah no, yeah, exactly. yeah 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 i feel like it was really um i don't know something happens about halfway through that i'm like oh it's pretty early to do something this extreme but then mm-hmm. after that point the book really picks up speed and gets a mm-hmm. lot better from there so it was almost the right choice to yeah. to do it that early because everything before then like I said is just names and it's job just titles. trying to figure <laughs> out who's who yes uh-huh. and who's staying at which hotel um, <laughs> yes. oh, speaking, 
Speaking of hotels, is that what is on the cover here? Is that the hotel that they're all staying at? I don't know. It certainly looks like a chateau. But I think, so I think this is on the cover is the scene where Nancy is sent the note to meet Mm -hmm. that person. And Frank and Joe go with her in case it's a trap and she almost gets attacked. Um, cause it's like on that walkway. I don't know why it's kind of like framed like this because I don't think, I don't know. I think, I guess they were trying to do something with the levels to make it seem to be able to get everybody in, in the frame. Right. Um, but that's not really exactly how it, it happens in the book, but also the planes. What are the planes? Right. <laughs> There weren't any, maybe that was in another draft or something that maybe. there were planes going overhead, but that definitely wasn't, yeah, that scene in the book. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know why I thought this scene was the one on the stairs or yeah. the, it is. Okay. That just yeah, doesn't look like I, stairs. It looks like they're on right. like the side of a snowy hill and they're yeah, about that's to what I was trying to say. slide down an avalanche or something. Right. It's, yeah. Yeah. The setting isn't, isn't quite right. And also like it's, I don't think it's that near to the hotel um i don't think maybe that's to be no maybe that's not supposed to be the hotel i don't know but yeah it's interesting well anyway it's a strange cover for sure yeah i don't know i mean i i guess it's because this was what 91 and so it's i think the hairstyles are very indicative of the time and the the khaki pants of course but oh and the puffer vest (laughs) it's the puffer vest (laughs) but um none of them look exactly is how I would picture them. No. Um, I think Nancy's face in particular, the expression is so not what I would expect a Nancy Drew expression to be. Um, Cause she seems very scared. Mm-hmm. Um, not shocked. She seems scared, which is not an emotion that we see Nancy experience very frequently. Um, and when, whenever we do, I feel like it's a much more, it's a much more, um, quiet or like reserved internal emotion that she often expresses mm-hmm. um then like a big a big expression like our um cover model is is showing here yeah so i don't i don't i don't love it <laughs> i just noticed you can see her breath actually everyone's breath yeah in the photo as well so she's probably like screaming as well which right is, yeah I do, th- I do like that i like that because you could definitely tell how cold it is how cold it's supposed to be um, I will say that they did a really great job um, in the setting for this book. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. I've never been to Quebec, um, but they did a very thorough job of, like, explaining, like, you know, what Quebec is like and where all the different things are happening and in relationship to, like, the city of Quebec, right? And so um, I think they did. If you're, if you're interested at all in French Canada... <laughs> Quebec specifically, this is definitely a book that you should pick up and read. Um, at least for the very fact that it is like almost entirely populated by French Canadian characters. So right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In fact, that was that was one of my three words that I was gonna put forward is French Canadians. Perfect. Yes. So many, so many French Canadians. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've never been either, but I feel like I have been now that I've read this yeah. book with all the accents and the landmarks that they describe. And, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's yeah. great. They did a good job, for sure. <laughs> um, I okay. love a traveling mystery. Yes, absolutely. 
Anytime Nancy can visit anywhere, it's so much fun. So much fun. So three words though. Well, French, French Canadians, French of course. Canadians, of course. Right. Race cars. Yeah, sure. Um, karate was another one that well, I wanted to karate. throw out there because there was a lot of karate. Yep. For some reason. Um, so yeah, you do French Canadians, race cars, and karate. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. This was like action packed. That's what I'm talking about. It was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Should we get started? Yes. So um, we start off, and Nancy and Bess have been invited to Quebec by Bess's cousin, Emily Anderson. And Emily works in film and is currently on the set of a movie called Dangerous Loves, <laughs> um, which is about a French Canadian woman who falls in love with a race car driver. Unfortunately, on set, there have been a lot of different accidents and delays, um, so she's invited Nancy and Bess to come up to investigate. Um, it is almost New Year's Eve um, when they are there, and we are like just starting off the book, and Nancy and Bess are on set, and they're standing on the banks of the frozen state Charles River, um, where they're about to film an ice racing scene. I did not know this was a sport. Um, nope. <laughs> But apparently it is. It's cars are literally racing, like cars racing on frozen ice. Um, I guess it makes sense that we wouldn't know that that existed uh, growing up in Texas, of course. Yeah. <laughs> to not get cold enough um, to ice skate on ice, much less drive on ice. Um, so, you know, okay. But I guess it's a, maybe a thing in Canada. Um and so they're standing there with Emily, and Emily points out the director, David Politano, and tells Nancy and Bess to kind of steer clear of him because he doesn't know the real reason why Nancy and Bess are there. She hasn't told him that she's invited them to investigate. Um, and also, he's kind of grumpy and doesn't really want them as visitors, right? Um, then we also see Dennis Connors, who is the attractive male lead, Jack Parmenter, who is apparently Emily's boyfriend and photographer for the movie, and Marguerite Laforet, who is the female lead. Um, and they start shooting this scene when a car starts driving down, like, this frozen ice, um, basically ruining the shot and nearly crashing into the other car that's parked on the ice for the scene. And out of the car comes none other than Andre Junot, who we learn is the ice racing champion in Quebec. Um, and he's come here, driven here onto the set, because apparently in addition for being a stunt driver for the film, he also wants to be like a technical advisor. Um, but David, the director, doesn't want him to be the technical advisor. They already have a technical advisor. He's like, no, we don't need you for that. But he's like annoyed about it and I guess wants to make some kind of statement. So he dramatically drives onto the set. Um, there does appear to be like an existing like animosity between Andre and the existing technical advisor, Francois Volney. Um, so maybe that's why he's decided to do this. He wants to kind of like show this guy up for some reason. Um, as they're talking, another car drives up on the ice, um, and four men come out. Two of them are Frank and Joe Hardy. Um, they spot Nancy and Bess standing over there and they come over and they say that they're here on vacation um, with Henry Dussault, or oh, sorry, Henri Dussault, uh, who is a friend of their dad's. And he's one of the other men who came out of the car. 
his company, Dusalt Motors, sponsors this winter carnival thing that they host up in Quebec, um, which is going to happen in February. And they're there um, with the, uh, this other guy named Pierre Demouin. Okay, I apologize too um, in advance because I'm just going to butcher all of these French names. I just know it. Me too. Um, I'm scared. So, <laughs> um, so Pierre, I think Demoulin? Demoulin? I'd say Demoulin. Demoulin? Yeah. Yeah, um, you're right. <laughs> so he's there as well. Um, and he and Omri are there working together to chart a race course on the St. Charles River for this winter carnival. Why the, they haven't like blocked off the set on the river. I don't know. Whoever's job that was failed. <laughs> so whatever. Um, so they're all talking or whatever. And then unfortunately with all this commotion and all the cars driving all over the place, no one has noticed that the nearby danger sign over some thin ice on the river has disappeared. Um, and so the director accidentally walks onto the thin ice and the ice starts to crack. Um, he very nearly falls through it, but he's saved by Frank, Joe, Nancy, and Bess, of course. Um, and he leaves to warm up. Frank and Joe also leave with Omri and Pierre. And then Nancy asks Emily, like, oh, who would want to sabotage this movie? She says, oh, the scriptwriter Billy Fitzgerald, <laughs> another name <laughs> to remember, um, I think he would because he's unhappy about all the changes that David, the director, is currently making. Um, and then we quickly meet Billy and we kind of see that what she said was a little bit of an understatement. He hates David and he takes every opportunity to complain about him. Um, then they decide to all go to lunch and on the way to lunch, Bess um, strikes up a conversation with Dennis, the attractive male lead, and they instantly kind of form a bit of a connection. Go figure. Um, we also meet this other guy named Grant Schulman, who is the assistant director for the movie, and apparently he's a longtime friend of David, the director-director, um, but otherwise he's not really well-known in the industry. Um, at lunch, David does show up um, and calls Billy away, saying that the scene they plan on shooting after lunch needs work, and this makes Billy really angry, and they have, like, this confrontation at lunch, and he says he wishes that David had sunk to the bottom of the river in his near-miss today. It's very dramatic. <laughs> Meanwhile, while all this is going on, <laughs> Frank and Joe are headed with their host, Henri, to this commercial shoot to promote the upcoming carnival, um, and the shoot features Andre Junot, who we met previously. Um, we get there, and Andre is doing interviews, and he has his arm around Marguerite Lafore, who Pierre invited to be here as well, to just, like, drum up press, because I guess she's just, like, a very famous movie star, right? Um, and Andre is, you know, doing interviews and being very braggy, and... Um, then Frank and Joe meet Francois Volney, who definitely does not like Andre. This is the, the technical advisor for the film Dangerous Loves. He's there as well. And we finally learn why that is. Um, he tells us that last year he was actually injured in a race that he was in against Andre. Um, and he has not been able to race since he was injured. Um also, Jack, the photographer from the film, and Emily's boyfriend is here, too. He's here to take pictures of Marguerite for some reason. 
this is really interesting and I really want to talk about this <laughs> later um, because I don't trust Jack. Me neither. Nope. Anyway. <laughs> um, then Henri introduces Frank and Joe to Brent Moore, who is another ice racing driver. Um, and Henri, oh my God, I'm already butchering names. Henri thinks that Brent is going to beat Andre um, at the ice racing event at the carnival. And Brent thinks so too. He thinks he's better than Andre, but he doesn't think that people will be happy when he wins the race because he's not French Canadian, but Andre is. This is something weird that's in the book that I really mm. want to talk about later too. There's a lot of um, talk about the kind of like um, inner group, outer group. Yes, of like people who are French Canadian and people who are not French Canadian, um, and how French Canadians, according to this book, are very like insular and don't like to uh, don't like people who are not French Canadian, basically. Okay. Yeah, yeah, um, which is really interesting, and I don't know if that's a true sentiment or not because again, never been to French Canada, but it's it's an interesting theme that keeps coming up. Um, after, um, his interview, Andre is confronted by his girlfriend, presumably, um, because he had his arm around Marguerite, um, and her name, the girlfriend who is confronting him, is Danielle, oh god, Rocheville? Ro yeah, I, I think so, okay. Rocheville. Okay. Seems right. Um, and she is also, um, racing this year. She's also a racer. What do you race call her? Race, race car driver? Okay. Yeah. She's also a race car driver. Um, and then after their little tiff, she's kind of led away by Pierre, um, which I really hated when I read that. I was like, what kind of sexist bullcrap uh -huh. is this with a girl yelling at her boyfriend and being led away because she's making a scene by another man? Are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. Are you, what is this boys club? Um, but we can talk about that later, too. <laughs> um, so she's led away, and they start to film the commercial. Apparently, the setup for the commercial is that Andre is supposed to drive around the corner of this river and into the shot. Um, but when he drives the car off around the corner to drive, you know, then drive it back, suddenly we hear a large explosion. The car has exploded with Andre inside. <gasps> J'accuse! <laughs> <laughs> so this was the thing that I was like, that's really early in the book to already mm -hmm. be murdering people, but I don't know. Right after this, it gets really, I don't know. Things pick yeah. up quite a bit from here. Yeah. So, so meanwhile, we, we head back to the set of Dangerous Loves where David who is the director he is Matt because see even now I'm like which yes. one was David was he's the well, the writer or the director the, mm -hmm. the director David is mad because Marguerite is missing she's not back from lunch yet and it's delaying shooting because they need to shoot her scene right now um, so Nancy decides that this is a good opportunity while everything's kind of stalled she's going to go talk more with Billy who is the writer um, she brings up his dislike for David tries to kind of ask about it and um, says like hey it seems like somebody's like trying to sabotage this movie um what's going on and billy says that yeah he's noticed what's been going on here but um more likely it's just incompetence by just <laughs> people who don't know what they're doing with their jobs um and less likely that it's 
sabotage, right? Um, and he says he absolutely would not want the movie to be sabotaged as much as he dislikes the director. Um, it's a big deal because he is actually the one who wrote the book um, that the movie is going to be based off of. So he wrote the screenplay as well. Um, so, you know, it's a big deal to get your book made into a movie. So, I mean, he doesn't want the movie to fail just because right. he doesn't like the director. Um, he says that Dennis, however, is a different story, the, Dennis being the, the main actor in the movie. He says that Dennis hasn't been able to accept the movie role that he actually wants that's filming right now in Hollywood because it conflicts with the schedule for this film. Um, so because Dennis really, really wants to break into Hollywood, that would be a pretty big deal you know, for him if this movie were to get canceled and he could do the project he actually wanted to. Pretty strong motive there. Right. Um, so at this point, Marguerite does come back and she tells them about Andre's car exploding, lets them know that he he is dead. Um, so David is just like, OK, whatever. Just get back to work. Get on the scene. We're trying to we're trying to, like, shoot this scene that you're in. Just get back to work. So they start shooting the scene and then the car parked behind them on the ice suddenly just starts sliding downhill directly towards them. So everyone manages to get out of the way in time. In fact, Nancy has to like Marguerite. Uh, yeah. Nancy has to knock Marguerite out of the way. <laughs> and the director goes around and is like trying to figure out who it was that had like set the car up in place before the scene started and tries to file, fire that person. But um, Francois Volney, who is the technical advisor on the film, says that, no, 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 I just checked that car right before we started filming. Um, and it was it was in park. The handbrake was set. So there's no reason it should have rolled down, rolled down the hill. It certainly wasn't right. the... Um, you know, whoever was setting up the scene beforehand. It certainly wasn't yeah. that person's fault. Um, and because it's one of these race cars where the doors are like bolted shut, you can't actually open the door. You just get it through the window. Nancy decides to test it. She reaches in the car through the window and she, her arms are not long enough to reach the handbrake. So whoever did this either would have had to have been somebody who would have had enough time to get in and out of the car without being noticed or somebody that just happens to have longer arms than she does. So... <laughs> Maybe it was Francois. I yeah. don't know. Um, so later that night, uh, Nancy, Bess, Emily, Jack, and Frank and Joe all go to dinner together. Um, they're talking about the case a little bit. And Nancy asks Jack, hey, could I see those photos that you took from the set yesterday? Um, and he says, yeah, I'll have them developed by tomorrow. I should have plenty of time to show you then. I'll show them to you tomorrow. Um, so they all decide that they're going to go on a horse-drawn carriage tour after dinner. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they're all just, you know, having a great old time in their carriage, all snuggled up. And suddenly a huge bang just goes off, a flash and a bang out of nowhere. And this terrifies the horse. The horses, like, take off running. Um, the driver falls off of the carriage in the midst of all this. <laughs> and oh my God, so I now... <laughs> this is crazy. The, the carriage is now just, like, barreling down this hill towards the edge of a cliff um driverless with no way to stop it okay so <laughs> in an absolute hero moment joe hardy wiggles his way out of the like like the carriage part of the carriage and like gets into the driver's seat and crouches down in the driver's seat and like throws himself forward onto the back of the horse <laughs> Grabs hold of the reins and manages to stop the horse, which stops the carriage just inches from the edge of the cliff. Thank you, Joe Hardy. <laughs> Amazing. Ah, I love it. 
<laughs> oh, so they're all super shaken. They all jump out of the carriage because they don't want to be in that death contraption any longer. <laughs> uh, and they're all like, what on earth just happened? So they retrace their steps a little a little bit, go back to where the horse was originally spooked, and they find the remnants of like a firecracker shell. Um, so someone must have thrown a firecracker at them. Um, and then they also are looking around the area a little bit more and they find a cowboy hat on the ground. <laughs> and Emily is like, I recognize that cowboy hat. That belongs to Dennis, the star of the movie. Mm. So was Dennis here with a bunch of fireworks in his pocket and threw one at us <laughs> to throw us off the case? <sighs> Maybe. Um, but then, whatever, we all go to bed. The next morning, we get up, and we learn that Emily has hired Brent Moore to be our um, replacement stunt driver. Now that Andre Juno has died, um, he is going to come in and be, not not technical advisor, but just the stunt driver, right, right for the movie. Yeah. Um, so Frank and Joe are also at breakfast. The next morning, we flash to like their point of view. They're at... Um, Henri, yeah. Henri's. They're at <laughs> Henri's house uh, having breakfast with him. And he gets a call from the police that tells him that, you know, they've had a chance to look over the crime scene and everything, look at Andre's car. They found a bomb wired to the engine oh my of God. Andre's car. So this was absolutely not an accident. Someone murdered him. Oh. Ah, so good. Okay. So... Of course, the Hardy Boys immediately offer to investigate um, and and help out Henri. Um, And they want to start by interviewing people who were present at the explosion. Henri tells them that most everyone can probably be found at the garage. And also, the boys quickly realize that that's also the most likely place for the bomb to have been put in Andre's car, as it was the only time it was unattended by him um, before it was, like, driven again, right? Um... So they go to the garage, they get there, and they find Danielle, um, and they start to talk to her, and she acts very upset, uh, and while she admits that uh, she was in the garage with Andre's car while it was in here, um, she didn't notice anything unusual. Um, she also tells Frank and Joe that she and Andre were together, but um, she didn't want anyone to know, um, because she didn't want people to think that she wasn't a successful race car driver entirely for her own merit, right? She didn't want to think that, she didn't want people to think that she was only, like, getting favors or whatever because she was in a relationship with Andre. Um she also <laughs> kind of puts on the waterworks. Um, she, you know, acts very upset. She starts crying and like snuggles up to Joe for sympathy. This um, is so great. <laughs> it is so good. Um, in order to like try to like get away and like get out of this situation. Um, it's very obvious. And but Joe falls for it. Like Joe believes. Oh, it. yeah. <laughs> and Frank absolutely does not. There's this hilarious, like, she's, like, crying onto his jacket, and she, this is so <laughs> and funny. then she leaves, and Frank, and Joe's like, oh, like, she was so upset, and Frank is like, your jacket is dry, like, she was not actually, like, crying into your jacket, and Joe goes, nylon dries fast. <laughs> <laughs> they see Francois Volney, who is the technical advisor for the film uh, Dangerous Loves, talking with Brent Moore, the race car driver and new stunt driver for the film as well. Um, 
they ask Francois about the accident that led to his injury, and he says a little bit more. He says, oh, no, no, it wasn't an accident. Like, Andre Juno, like, forced me off of, like, the race course. Um, and so he also tells Frank and Joe that he saw Andre's car had a fancy new supercharger engine while it was in the garage, but he didn't, and he didn't see anyone plant a bomb. Interesting. Um, so he leaves and then Frank and Joe talk a little bit to Brent. Um, and they ask him if it's possible that Andre and Marguerite had a thing going on because of, you know, him having his arm around her the day before and Danielle getting all upset about it. Um, and Brent gets like super aggro, like very angry and aggressive, like very quickly. He tells them to stay away from him and from Miss LaForet. Um, and that if they don't, they'll be sorry. Well, mm. big old reaction um, for just what was a mostly innocent question, you know? Um, so it certainly seems like he's quick to anger, and maybe both he and Francois have motive and opportunity to plant a car or plant a bomb in Andre's car. Um, so then they decide to head over to the Dangerous Love set to talk to Nancy and Bess. Um, but before they get there, meanwhile, we flash over to Nancy and Bess's perspective. They're on set, and Nancy decides that she's going to go confront Dennis about the hat, ask him what the heck he was thinking, throwing a firecracker under their carriage, right? Um, and he gets, like, a grim look on his face, but he says he would never prank anyone like that, um, and he actually lost his hat in wardrobe yesterday, so he didn't even have it, so it wasn't him. Um, Bess, of course, takes his side because she is starstruck and attracted to him. Um, so then he, like, he, like, thanks her for, like, taking a side and asks her to dinner. Ah, Bess! <laughs> and, of course, she agrees. And Nancy is, like, kind of, like, mm, about it, but just tells her to stay in public places in it. That's <laughs> good advice. This is what I'm talking about. Peak <laughs> comedy. Peak yes. comedy. Nancy's like, fine, I get it. You're attracted to my suspect. Just, just stay in public. <laughs> Hey, I'm sorry. Nancy, do you not remember Daryl? Like, you have nothing to say to Bess. Seriously. Seriously. You do not have a leg to stand on. Um, after this, Frank and Joe arrive, and they tell Nancy that they learned this morning that the explosion was actually murder. Um, and so then they ask Bess to, like, come talk to Danielle because they think that she'll open up more to a woman. No, because she's not a detective, they specify. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Because Daniel knows that Frank and Joe are investigating. But, but so they're going to have Bess why... come as a journalist. Like, they have her pose as a journalist. So how's that any better? Yeah, it's also the woman thing for sure. Okay. I think okay. That they just, like... <laughs> Can you do girl mm. talk, please? Can you go yeah. ask her about her boyfriend? Girls know how to oh do God. that, right? Ugh. Figure out what her favorite makeup brand is while you're there. Okay. <sighs> yeah. Um, so after that conversation, I think... Best George and, or best Joe and Frank all leave. Um, after that, it becomes pretty clear pretty quickly that Jack, Emily's boyfriend, is missing. Um, Emily says that she hasn't been able to reach him anywhere. She's even called the police and called the hospitals, um, but no luck. And this is totally unlike him. He's not showing up for work, you know. Um, and Mark, his friend, arrives because he was actually supposed to be helping him today on set. He's also a photographer. Um, and he hasn't seen him or heard from him since last night. 
Um, so this is weird. So Nancy and Emily decide to head to his hotel to try to get the concierge to let them into his room. Um, they do, and upon opening the door, they find that his room has been absolutely trashed. Looks like someone ransacked it. Um, and with Jack missing, it's super concerning. But the police, they call the police, and they refuse to do anything until he's been missing for longer. Um, so Nancy decides that she's going to search the room kind of sneakily to look for any evidence. She ends up finding a matchbook from the same hotel that Billy, the um, scriptwriter, is staying at. Um, and why would Jack have that? Um, so Nancy's working theory about this is that someone other than Jack searched the room to try to find something incriminating that Jack may have, may have, like maybe a photograph, right? He's a photographer. Um, so maybe he took a picture and someone knows that. Um, meanwhile, we flash over to the Hardy Boys perspective and Bess is pretending to be a journalist to interview Danielle, um, as Joe has asked her to do. And... Danielle's like immediately peeved that Joe is there with Bess <laughs> and Bess being the um, emotionally intelligent queen that she is immediately picks up on that. <laughs> um, and Danielle doesn't end up really telling Bess anything new. Um, but once she leaves, once Danielle leaves, Bess tells Joe that like for someone who's supposedly supposed to be so upset over the death of her boyfriend, she sure is pretty into Joe. Um, so (laughs) that's weird. (laughs) Um, meanwhile, that's going on. Frank is at Dusalt Motors looking over, uh, the records for the Winter Carnival. Um, and he discovers that several large amounts of money have been removed from the race prize fund. Hmm. Someone perhaps stealing? Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. Um, So Frank goes to Henri and tells him about this, and he is absolutely shocked. He says, no, I'm the only one with access to the account. Um, I'm the only one with the password. So somebody clearly either figured out my password or just outright hacked me. Um, And so Frank decides to head back to set. And as he does, he sees Francois Volney, who's the technical advisor. He's sneaking away from the Dassault Motors building. Which is very weird. Um, And um, Francois had told Henry that he would be catching up on some work here. Um, Because Frank is just like, what are you doing? I thought you were supposed to be at the set. He's like, oh, no, no, I'm catching up on something. Don't worry about it. Uh, He also, so I I realized I didn't mention previously, he also works for Dussault Motors sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So he does have reason to be here. He does work here. Yeah. But we don't learn in what capacity. Because he's just acting weird. Like, he's just kind well, of sneaking like, he's around. he's, like, sneaking off. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, if whoever was embezzling from the prize fund is also the same person that murdered Junot, um, then Francois would be a pretty good suspect because, obviously, he's got access to both right. locations, both the set and this building. Um, so, then we flash to Nancy's point of view. She is investigating Jack's studio. Um, of course, he's not there. We don't find him. But she does find... The shots from yesterday um, that Jack had, like, everything organized really well, everything was in folders, and everything is there except for the shots from yesterday that he said that he was planning to print, um, like, overnight or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And she looks in the trash and she sees some test strips from the film. Um, So she can't really see what's on them because they're so small, obviously, but she sees Bess's face. Um, now, we've only arrived in town a couple of days ago, so if Bess is in these pictures, it means that he took these pictures around the same time that Juno died. Um, right. So we're, we're on to something here, basically. Uh, so she takes the test strips with her, and then she heads back to set. 
so once she gets back to set, they're about to start filming a wedding scene inside the church. And Bess is already there. She's like watching everything. Um, and she, <laughs> Miss Bess, who <laughs> miss attention to detail, she's watching them set up the wedding procession right before they're about to start filming. And she sees Grant has put the flower girl in the wrong place in the procession line. And Bess is like, hey, psst, Grant, Grant, <laughs> you screwed up. I know how weddings are supposed to go. The flower girl is supposed to be in front, not the back. What are you doing? Um, to be fair, she said it quite nicely. No, she, she wasn't, definitely did. Yeah, yes. she wasn't a jerk, but she's just like trying to let him know, basically, yeah. right? Um, and he's just like, I think I would know. I have the set notes right here. This is what it says in my notes. You're wrong, basically. And it's kind of rude to her. Um, and then the director, David, comes out of nowhere and is like, why is the flower girl in the back? She needs to be in the front. And so Grant, like gets all embarrassed because he's mad that the director yelled at him and then he like turns around and gives nancy and Bess the most evil glare you could imagine <laughs> the heck it's like Bess tried to warn you it's not like she made your notes wrong whatever mm-hmm. um okay so that that happens and then after this nancy decides to go to the wardrobe department where dennis says that he left his hat there um on the same night as the um the incident with the carriage horse um so he's like it couldn't have been me because i lost my hat that night i'd left it in the wardrobe department and um it wasn't there when i went back for it um so nancy's going to go and verify the story um the crew there does confirm that he did leave it there and then later some other person some friend of his came and picked it up for him um so it looks like dennis was actually telling the truth here so she kind of decides that he is in the clear um at least for that one firecracker horse. right so <laughs> Uh, that's good news for Bess. There's this really <laughs> funny scene where Bess, Nancy goes to tell Bess this. And Bess is like, don't even say it, Nancy. I know what you're going to say. You're going to warn me not to go on this date with him. And Nancy's like, actually, no. I think that you should go on the date with him because I've just yeah. decided that he's innocent. Yeah. Uh, so, oh, that's great. So Bess and Dennis go on their date. Um, and then the, um, later that day, after filming wraps, Nancy realizes that Marguerite is sneaking off set like really, really quickly. Like the second they wrap, she's practically sprinting off the set. Um, so she's like, that's weird. Where is she always going the second we, we wrap? So she follows her and finds her on a date in a restaurant with Brent Moore. Oh, surprise, surprise. <laughs> well, and as she's like following Marguerite, she notices these two like dark shadowy mm. figures also following Marguerite. And she's like, that's really weird. Um, so she goes and she catches her with Brit and then the other two guys, it's just the Hardy boys. Don't yes. worry. It's just Frank and Joe who are also tailing them. And so unfortunately they like Brent and Marguerite both realize that Nancy and the Hardy boys are all following them. And so they get kind of angry at them and Nancy has to make up an excuse. She's like, no, no, no. It just happens to, to be that we're all also here for dinner. We're not following you. We're just here for dinner. <laughs> Uh, so then Nancy, Frank, and Joe do sit down and have dinner and discuss the case a little bit more. Uh, and Marguerite seems to believe them. So she and Brent just like go back to their table or whatever. Um, so Nancy, Frank, and Joe are all at dinner. And then afterwards, um, they're walking her back to the hotel, arm in arm, all yes. three of them side by side. <sighs> um, just having a nice little evening stroll after dinner, headed back to the hotel and a sports car comes running comes revving up out of nowhere and almost runs them down um they're okay they jump out of the way in time but they're not able to catch the license plate Mm. so we have to talk about this yeah particularly later because this really confuses me um anyway yep continue 
<laughs> okay, so um, the next morning, uh, Emily goes to Nancy and Bess and is like, hey, will you go with me to the police to ask about Jack again? Um, so they all go to the police station, and the police uh, do agree to look into it now. So um, they don't seem to be overly concerned. They're like, whatever, whatever, missing person. That's <laughs> old story, old hat, right? Um, so Nancy decides that she is going to continue the investigation herself. And so she goes to talk to Mark, who is Jack's friend and fellow photographer, who is now like covering for Jack on set. He's now the set photographer in Jack's mm-hmm. absence. Um, I think they say that they also share a photography studio as well. Yeah. Um, so she asked Mark about the test strips that she'd found in the studio. And um, he says, oh, yeah, I remember Jack saying that he was going to print these test strips because he had an appointment with the big head honcho of the Auto Federation um, later that day. Or he had it, um, the appointment was on the day that he went missing. Right. Um, so... Um, I think he was trying to, like, also get hired to do the photography for the ar- the ice racing at the carnival, mm-hmm. right? So that's mm-hmm. why he was going to talk to him and showing him these right. photos. So um, possibly this big head honcho guy is the last person to see Jack. So Nancy calls Frank and tells him about this. And he's like, well, the head of the Auto Federation, that's Pierre. Um, I've, you know, the, the guy that they'd arrived with in the car at the very beginning of the book. Um, and so he gives her, uh, Pierre's phone number. So she calls and asks about Jack's appointment. Um, Pierre's like, yeah, yeah, he was here. Um, but then his answers are like really weird and he takes Mm -hmm. a really long time to answer. Like there's just like a long pause and he's like, yeah, no, he was here afterwards. No, no, no. Oh no, no, no. I did see him afterwards. He was going to the movie set. So I gave him a ride, but not to the movie set near the movie set. Mm-hmm. but he was like just his answers are really mm-hmm. weird like that um and so nancy says did he have like a big bag of photography equipment with him and pierre's like no nothing like that he just had the photos and so nancy starts thinking all right where is the camera then where's his camera where's his camera bag right so we, after this we go back to the the movie set and when we get there this messenger boy comes along with an envelope and just hands it to nancy um and then grant the assistant director comes over like really really angry and like grabs the envelope from nancy and yells at the messenger boy for delivering it to the wrong person Um, but nancy makes note of the envelope itself she looks at it and she sees that it's sent by some company called ocp Hmm. all right um so then they meet a snowman who's the (laughs) mascot for the carnival I just had to mention that because it was so funny. Yeah. <laughs> I for sure thought there was something that was going to happen with the snowman. Yeah. Because it, the way that they did it was just like, oh, they take pictures with the snowman. Like, yeah. It's just like this whole thing. And then it's nothing. They just, they just meet a snowman. <laughs> I thought it was going to play into something with Bess. I thought the best, yeah. uh, the snowman was going to flirt with Bess or something like that. Or I, I thought know. that like, I don't know, the snowman would have to go on break and then somebody would have to act be get in the snowman costume or oh. like somebody was in the snowman costume that and that was important somehow but it was just so funny because they also don't make it clear right off the bat that the snowman is a mascot they right. just he's just a talking like, snowman he's just a talking snowman <laughs> and i'm like what the heck is happening what's going on what has is this frosty the snowman come to life what is happening i was about to say if you watch long enough he'll do a dance <laughs> so funny but no there's this winter carnival so the mascot of the carnival (laughs) is this snowman and so he's in this mascot costume just kind of i guess wandering around quebec (laughs) and he's like flirting with Bess, sort of almost it's weird uh, Bess is very excited to meet the snowman and so (laughs) 
Beth and Nancy are talking to the snowman. But then uh, we see Billy on set, and Nancy is slightly surprised, Billy being the writer, if y'all forgot the name mm-hmm. so far. Uh, she's slightly surprised because she hasn't seen Billy since the night that Jack went missing. So now she decides, hey, since Billy's here, that means his hotel room is empty and ripe mm-hmm. for me to snoop through it. <laughs> so she, she she heads over to his hotel room um, and they have a really hard time, like, talking to the concierge. He just is not putting up with their, like, gimmick. They tried to, like, make up a cover story to get in. And he is just not going to let Nancy and Bess into the room. So they right. decide that they're just going to leave and go back to the set. When Bess notices that Danielle is, like, coming out of a nearby hallway, like, she's leaving one of the rooms mm-hmm. and going outside or something. And so they think that that's very strange. Um, and Danielle didn't happen to see them. So Nancy gets best to like distract the, um, the concierge while she goes and like peeks down that hallway and she sees that it's just a bunch of guest rooms. So I don't know. It's just very strange because like they made a big deal about Billy not staying at the same hotel as everybody else. So we don't know anybody else that could mm-hmm. be staying here that Danielle might know, unless it's just somebody that's completely unrelated to the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so she also gets best to distract him more while she's like looking at the guest register and trying to see like what names are on those rooms. She doesn't recognize any of the names and she also doesn't see Danielle's name on right. that list. So very strange. So why is she here? It's not her own room. She's not visiting anybody that we know. So we don't really know what that's about. Um, but meanwhile, we flash to Frank and Joe's perspective and they are at the offices for the auto federation. Um, Henri has invited them here to look at cars this morning. I don't know. Just don't know. Stuff. They're just looking at engines. And they... <laughs> I, I guess they've arrived early, but they go to Henri's office anyway. And as they're doing so, they see Francois leaving, carrying a manila folder. Mm. Um, he says, oh yeah, yeah, I'm just getting some papers for Henri. Um, and then as he's like trying to leave, he accidentally drops all of his paper in the hallway. So Frank and Joe <laughs> are overly nice. Like, oh, let us help you with that. Right. Let me pick up that paper. <laughs> um, and so as they're doing this, Frank happens to notice that he saw a page within this pile of papers that the exact same thing as the printout they were looking at the other day that had all the information about the stolen money from the prize fund. So why would Francois have the list of transactions from the fund unless he was somehow involved in that account or had mm-hmm. access to that account, which we already know Henri said nobody else except him has access or knows the password. Yeah. I do think that is a bit of an assumption on Frank and Joe's part. I, you would think that if you were stealing money, you wouldn't need to look at the paper with from the account that shows what was stolen and when. Right. Um, so I thought that this was a little obvious that he wasn't actually involved, but anyway, we'll get strange. Um, Henri arrives soon after that and the Hardy boys tell them, uh, tell him what they saw. Um, and he says that he trusts Francois entirely. There's no way that he would have stolen that money absolutely not but he didn't give him permission to take that document like he didn't tell him to go get papers for him so why did Francois have it and what was he doing in his office um so after that uh Nancy calls Frank and Joe and asks them to meet her at the at her hotel um and they do turns out Nancy has received an anonymous note at the front desk telling her that if she comes alone to the oh god here we go the governor's walk is the English translation, <laughs> if you want to just call it that. 
promenade des gouverneurs. <laughs> I don't know. Um, at five, which is just after dark, um, they'll tell her where Jack is hiding. Obviously, she thinks this is a trap. So that's why she called the Hardy Boys here so that they would be able to come along and help her in case there was any trouble. Um, so they all go to this, this walkway, it's promenade, which is right by this big cliff. Um, and the Hardys are hiding in case something happens. And so Nancy starts to walk up this set of stairs and then two men in ski masks appear, one at the top of the stairs and one at the bottom kind of blocking her in. Um, so Nancy, I love this scene. <laughs> this was almost funny too. If it wasn't so like dramatic action packed, it would have been funny how she yes. like tackles these men it's great so she what she does is she decides to like turn around she realizes that she only has a chance at getting away if she uses gravity to her advantage and her momentum to her advantage so she starts to like run down the stairs at the man who is standing there he's like you know bracing himself getting ready for her to just like i guess smack into him but then very smartly she like lifts herself up on the stair railing so that like she's only supporting herself by her arms on the railing and kick, like levers like backwards and horse kicks the guy at the bottom of the stairs in the chest knocking him yes. down yes <laughs> nancy <gasps> yes. so good and i feel like this is like so accurate and something that like would work i feel like a lot of the times when nancy's action scene it's like nancy delivers a karate chop to the back of his neck and it's like what would that do <laughs> you know what i mean like that doesn't accomplish anything like unless you really hit him hard enough to knock him out like that doesn't do anything but i feel like this is like yes like this is a this is a good tip if you're ever in this situation, right. do that. <laughs> um, so yay, Nancy. So she gets away. Um, and at this point, the Hardy Boys come over to her rescue. But unfortunately, the two guys run off. They get away. Um, after this, they meet up with Emily. And she wants to search Jack's studio again. So they all head there. And Mark is supposed to be there tonight to let them in. But when they knock on the door, no one answers, which is weird. Um, but the door is unlocked, so they just open it and go in. And they see Mark tied to a chair in the middle of the studio, which has been trashed. Yikes. So they untie him, and he says that two men in ski masks came in, um, beat him up, tied him up, and then ransacked the place and left. Um, probably these are the same two men that just tried to, like, attack Nancy, right? Um... They kind of look around, but they can't find any further evidence at the studio. But they assume, based on the fact that the men just tried to trap Nancy, um, and with Jack being missing, and now this, this somehow must be related to Nancy's case, right? Otherwise, they would have tried to get to the Hardy Boys. Instead, they tried to get to Nancy. Um, so they decide <laughs> that they want to try to compare typewriter samples to determine who left Nancy that note at the hotel that said to go there. Um, and Emily says the only person that she knows who has a typewriter is Billy. So again, they tried to get into his room. Uh, they end up stealing Bess away from her, I guess, second date with Dennis, um, to try to distract the concierge again. Just like, just use somebody else, like let Bess have her date. 
whatever. That's just such a good sport because it's literally <laughs> during their date. Like they come yes. find her at the restaurant and are like, oh, sorry, Dennis. We need to drag her yeah. away from the table for a little bit. And they do. Like, Bess yes. is so nice about it. She's like, do we have to do it now, guys? And they're like, <laughs> yeah, right now. Let's go. And what's so funny, what I find so funny about this too is like, it's got to be that Bess has to, the reason why they get Bess and not have like, Emily do it or something is because Bess has to be so good at it mm-hmm. that like this is Bess's skill like she can yeah. distract men <laughs> she's so Ooh. good at distracting men that they have to go track her down and be like Bess we need you to distract the concierge <laughs> so funny anyway so they take Bess um and they she does distract the concierge and Nancy breaks into Billy's room um, and we look at Billy's typewriter and quickly determine that it couldn't have written the note. And then we leave. Um, Emily says there's also a typewriter on set. So then they go to set. Um, this one also doesn't match. Um, but they do see on this specific typewriter, because you can kind of see on on this specific typewriter, there's like a snippet of what was last written on it. If any of you have played uh, Secrets Can Kill... I believe, or no, stay tuned for danger. danger, Stay tuned for danger. This is the kind of typewriter you can see what was last written on it too. So just fun little, fun little tidbit of information for you there. Um, And what was last written on it um, is clearly a reply to that Grant made to the letter that OCP sent him. It's like, we see that he has put his last name and we see that it was to OCP, right? So he's replying to whatever it was that he received from them. Um, And Emily's like, oh, I recognize the abbreviation OCP. That stands for O Canada Productions, which is a rival production company. Hmm? Why would Grant be communicating with them? Could he perhaps be involved in some kind of corporate sabotage? Mm, suddenly his mistake with the wedding lineup makes more sense now maybe it wasn't an accident maybe he was trying to do that to sabotage the production and that's why he was mad at nancy and Bess because they foiled his sabotage hmm interesting so the next day frank and joe have decided to try to tail francois volnay right they think that he's potentially responsible for stealing the money from the auto federation so they follow him um they see him leave his house and he drives to business school um frank and joe follow him in and it seems like he's attending class (laughs) i don't know why they make this seem so like what is he doing here (laughs) turns out he comes out and and frank and joe confront him yeah he's there he's attending business school (laughs) He says that since his accident, he wanted to get a degree so that he would have some more career options since he obviously can no longer drive, right? Makes perfect sense. I don't know why this is treated so nefariously, but it's funny. Um, He tells them also that the reason he took the paper from Henri's office with the account information on it was because he overheard them the other day talking to the... talking about the stolen money um, to Omri. And he thought that if he got the paper because of like the things he's learning in business school, he might be able to figure out um, who it was that was responsible for stealing the money. 
but he hasn't been able to do that successfully yet. And he shows, but he does show Frank and Joe the paper and makes a note of some of the numbers next to each transaction. Um, and together they kind of work out that some of those numbers must be identifying who initiated those withdrawals. Um, they call Omri and after like telling him the numbers, he says that those numbers match the quote unquote log on numbers from the computers at the Auto Federation. I don't know what that means. That's a little before me, technology wise. Um, I, I assume. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this whole scene is so funny because uh, Francois is like, you know, it's it's written in this fancy computer code, yeah. and I'm not a computer coder, so I can't decode what this means. And Joe yeah. looks at it. His he like leans over a little bit. He's like, let me see that. Yeah, that's a date. Those six numbers. That's yeah. just a date. And he's like, oh, yeah. I never would have known. Like, okay. It's very this funny. Indecipherable code. It's just the, the day. Yeah. Okay. The day. Um, and it's like also like, what do you think the numbers next to that meant? Like clearly it's like some kind of like bank in bank routing information right. or something. So like clearly it's important. And also I don't understand how at the very beginning, the moment that they learned that someone was stealing, Henri couldn't have called the bank and been like, these were unauthorized withdrawals. Like someone got my password somehow. And can you tell me who has done this or can you investigate bank? Mm -hmm. Because it is your job right. to do that when there's fraud. Like, <laughs> I don't understand why that couldn't have happened in the bank being like, oh, clearly we can see it's this. This is what has happened. Or at least provide some more details. I don't know. Or like find the IP address of the right. account that it was transferred to something. Right. No. I don't know. I guess this was what? 1991, which is yeah. what I said. Maybe it was a little early, you know, digital banking wasn't really fully fleshed out yet i don't know Whatever i guess reason. but if these are all electronic transactions they've right. got to have something you would think something yeah you anyway think. anyway they determine that these numbers show that the person who made the withdrawals were making the withdrawals from a computer from the auto federation and not just any computer but the computer that is in pierre's office huh it's very interesting uh, meanwhile, while all this is going on, Nancy, Bess, and Dennis, who is, like, now in on the whole thing, we've just decided to, like, loop him into the fact <laughs> that we're detectives and we're investigating. Um, <laughs> we have now arranged a meeting with OCP. And this is actually also a really great scene. Very funny. Um, because they use Dennis and, like, his acting chops to, like, help, like, like, do this whole thing oh, so yeah. dennis pretends to ocp that he wants to be in on the deal that grant is in on with them and so he's like sitting there acting like he's like trying to be like this blackmailer guy it's very funny mm -hmm. um and whoever the representative from ocp who is there whoever that is they say like we don't need you um we already have someone on set who is doing this for us but we will pay you to keep quiet about it um, and Dennis asks, well, how can you be sure that your sabotage is going to work this time? Because the last few times have been so unsuccessful, right? They haven't done anything. Um, and they say that they know this time it will work because they have arranged this quote unquote final act and that it will be quote unquote, the snake all over again. 
which is interesting. Once they leave, Nancy, who has been listening to this nearby, comes over and tells them that she thinks that they want to blow up another car, right? The snake all over again. They're saying they're going to blow up a car the same way that Andre's car was blown up. And Brent is doing stunt driving this morning on the set. So Brent could be in danger. Ah, yikes. So as soon as Nancy realizes all this, she kicks it into high gear. They rush over to the set and on the way, they're like calling the police. They're calling the set, just trying to warn anyone. Um, and as they arrive, we see that they are just seconds away from starting to film this scene. Um, and so the police and Nancy, like everybody kind of converges on the set all at once and it manages to stop the shoot. Um, they have this like whole SWAT team come and like whole bomb squad come in and like, uh, you know, they stop and they like look at all the cars and they do find the bomb. It's under Brett's car or sorry. Oh my it's under, God. yeah, it's under Brent's car. Um, and once they find the bomb, they like take it away, put it in this massive like armored truck and mm -hmm. like drive it away and detonate it off site. And then, um, the police, dramatic. it's so dramatic. It's so <laughs> It's nerve wracking as well because everybody is like, what's going on? What's going on? And then there's just kind of this like quiet shock as everyone realizes that they were all almost about to be blown up if they, yes. you know, continued with the shoot for another like 10 seconds. Um, so the police come over and ask Nancy because she made the 911 call how she knew about the bomb. So she tries, um, she explains a little bit and she tells them this that she thinks that Grant is responsible for having planted it there. Uh, so Grant comes over and he's flustered and he's like, no, 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 I didn't do anything wrong. That was just a smoke bomb. It was just a prank. I was going to scare people. Nobody was going to get hurt though. Like, don't worry. It was just a smoke bomb. Um, but then at the, at this point, the like lab reports come back or whatever. And they're like, yeah, it was made with like C4 and all these explosives. <laughs> and it was like, this would have killed everyone in the car and thir within 30 feet of it um and so grant is shocked at this and he like goes white and he doesn't realize that that's what they had him plant he genuinely thought that nobody was going to get hurt um, but he does admit at this point that he is the one that sabotaged the rest of the film um he basically says that he's doing it to get back at the director david for ruining his career um it's random. whatever. Yeah, they don't really explain this very well, but uh, essentially Grant like thinks that David like stole some some ideas for a film from him yep. at some point in the past, whatever. Like another film like previously that David right. got to direct and he wanted to direct but he didn't get to. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Even though he's like this is like his first film that he's not first, but right. like he's very unknown in the industry, whatever. So, yeah. that was his like motivation for the yeah. revenge. So, uh, Nancy asks him, all right, well, tell us where Jack is then. Um, and he's like, oh, no, she, she asked him to tell him where Jack is and asked him, like, well, it must have been you that set those two guys on me in the staircase the night before. And he's like, what are you talking about? Who's Jack? What guys in the staircase? What do you, what do you mean? And so um, they take him away. The police take him away. Um, and they have to shut down the movie set for a couple of days. But Nancy's just like, Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, we still have to find Jack. We still have to figure out who is doing the rest of this, this nonsense. Um, so she starts thinking, she's like, if only I could just like find out where the missing test strips are, um, from, from the day of the explosion, then we'd have more mm -hmm. to go off of. And then Emily some just like suddenly remembers, Oh yeah. Sometimes Jack would like store his equipment here. And there's like this like locked trailer or whatever that we have where he usually kept his camera bag. Um, so they go, 
they find the camera bag in this locked cabinet and inside is the missing envelope because as i said he had everything organized really well it's the missing envelope of the day from when the missing photos were were taken um, and they find the test strips inside. So they look through them and they find a shot of Pierre planting a bomb in Andre Juno's car. So they show the Hardys this and they now know that he is guilty of this murder and of the embezzlement with the, um, the prize fund money. So they call the police um, because they, well, they tell the police that they need another day to try to find Jack before they arrest Pierre, because if they get Pierre first, they might not be able to find Jack. So the police agree to let them have another day to look for Pierre or to look for Jack before they go after Pierre. And Nancy like comes up with this plan. She's like, all right, we're going to blackmail Pierre. And then the Hardy boys will follow him after we meet up and then he'll lead us straight there. All right. Um, yeah, it, it fails right away. This plan yes. does not work. Pierre notices the Hardy Boys are tailing him right away, and he gets away. Um, and then he calls Nancy and is like, hey, no more tricks. Um, you need to get Henri to give up the rest of the prize money. And then you're going to take this prize money to the New Year's Eve party. And what you're going to do, you're going to wrap it like a Christmas present. You're going to put all the money in a box, wrap that box. He tells her like specific which ribbon to use and everything. Mm -hmm. So he knows which one is the right gift. And then they're going to put it, put the box under the Christmas tree at the party. And then he's going to get away with the money. Right. Um, and he tells them, if you don't do all this, you'll never see Jack again. So they're like they're forcing Nancy's hand here. Right. So they get all dressed up and go to the ball, which turns out to be a costume party. Oh my God. This is amazing because Nancy is all dressed up at, am I going to say this name correctly? Matahari. Yeah. The Matahari. Yes. Can you believe it? She's dressed up as Matahari. Yeah. And then Frank and Joe show up as Holmes and Watson, which it's I love so, so much. I love this so much. Nancy is dressed up as like this sexy dancer spy character. Which she specifies, she specifies that she feels kind of awkward in the costume, but Frank had encouraged yes. her to wear this. <laughs> also, also, um, Bess is dressed up as a famous movie star from the time. And I don't know if you saw the picture that I put in the drive. No. I found, I found the costume that Bess is, is wearing oh, here. Oh, let me look. Because Bess let me and look. Dennis, um, they go as a couple together to the party and they describe the costumes that they're wearing of like these um, <gasps> famous oh movie stars gosh. from like the thirties and forties. And I found the actual like picture that Bess is like dressed up as. And I that's can just imagine. That's so cool. Isn't that? That's so cool. <clears throat> so those are the, wow. the exact people. And they even describe like the, the white uh, sun hat that she's wearing and everything. And yeah, it's really cute. Wow. Um, but yeah, so anyway, everybody's all dressed up and um, they've got the gift all wrapped up in the special ribbon or whatever, and they are ready to go to the party and make this drop. Um, so they get there and someone mentions like, oh yeah, we had to get like this special cake for this party because Andre um, was allergic to chocolate. So he hated chocolate cake. And, um, you know, now it's kind of ironic because he's not even alive anymore to, to enjoy the cake. Yeah. So. Um and then Bess goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. Danielle told us um, when she was like pretend crying on Joe's shoulder that uh, she made him a chocolate cake for his birthday last year um, and how she was like bragging about it because it's his favorite. 
So mm-hmm. mm, something's wrong here if he was allergic to it, but Danielle's telling us that it was his favorite. That's strange. So this tips Nancy off that, oh, Danielle must be working with Pierre in this right. case. So um, her like causing the big scene with um, with Andre and Marguerite because he had his arm around Marguerite or whatever she was just causing a scene as a distraction to allow Pierre the chance to get into the garage to play at the bomb. She wasn't actually upset because they weren't actually dating. Right. Oh my gosh. Okay. So then she realizes, Hey, hold on. This is so convoluted. Pierre de Moulin. She like translates it into English. She's yeah. like, if you swap the letters around it. No, tra- no, no. Not really. Doesn't not swap really any good. letters around. <laughs> Eventually, if you look at the name for long enough, it will yes. turn into Peter Mills. No, no, no. It's just the translation of Peter Mills. Is it just a translation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pierre. Oh, I don't really know about Pierre, but Pierre, Peter, and then De Moulin is like of the windmills. So Mills. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's sort of a translation, truncation right. of the name yeah. almost. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Peter Mills is the name that she yes. ends up with here. But... She realizes from when she had Bess distract the concierge at the hotel and she was like looking at the list of the names of the people and she didn't recognize any of them. Peter Mills was one of those names. Mm -hmm. So, duh, this is where they're holding Jack in this hotel room, right? So after they realize this, Joe decides that he is going to tell the police and then get over to the hotel to go look for Jack. And then at the same time, um, Nancy and Frank are going to go do the the drop with the Christmas present, the Christmas tree and all that. So um, we're like 10 seconds to midnight. So Nancy like goes over to the, the Christmas tree. She places the gift under the tree. The clock strikes midnight and the lights go out. Everyone screams. There's this huge commotion, lots of noise. People are just like scattered everywhere. And then the lights come on and the gift is gone. And Pierre and Danielle are also gone as well. Classic. Oh my gosh. Lovely. I know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's called New Year's Evil. Something had to happen right at midnight, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're all outside on the sidewalk and Pierre and Danielle are like hurrying away from the building um, and they manage to like sneak up on them and try to subdue them. But then Pierre like pulls out this gun and there's like a little bit of a struggle. Danielle is dressed like a cowgirl and so she's got like what they assume is a fake revolver on her hip. It's not fake. Pierre just like pulls it off of her waist and it starts like holding him at gunpoint. Um, But then because Joe had already called the police, the police show up right at this moment and then arrest Pierre and Danielle. Right. All righty. So then we're at a party with everyone. So we're having a little party to celebrate Jack's homecoming, his return. Um, and he and Jack are, or Emily and Jack are like cozied up together at the party. And then Bess and Dennis are there. And then the Hardy boys and Nancy, obviously. Um, so everybody's okay now. And we learn that Pierre and Danielle did confess. Um, Pierre admits that he did kill Andre because Pierre was, you know, involved with all the prize fund money, theft and everything. Andre actually found out. He overheard Pierre talking about it. So Andre started to blackmail Pierre about the prize money. And then Pierre killed Andre for the blackmail, if that makes sense. Yes. Pierre didn't want to pay Andre. And so Pierre just killed him. Yeah. 
And yeah. then Danielle was also in on it in on it for the money as well. And then because Pierre promised her, like, oh, you know, I'm kind of in charge of this auto federation, so I can help your career and like give you a little boost in the racing circuit if you can help me with this. So then they together kidnapped Jack because Jack had planned um he did go to the meeting with Pierre where he showed him all his photos. And then as they're looking through it, Jack didn't realize it was there, but Pierre saw it in one right. of the photos that he caught him planting the bomb in the background right. of one of the photos. Uh, so that's why they kidnapped Jack. And then we also learn that because Grant has been arrested from his uh, arrested and taken away and can't fulfill his assistant director position anymore, Emily has been promoted to assistant Yay! director for Dangerous Labs. So excellent little jump for her career. And then Francois has been given Pierre's old job with the Auto Federation. And Dennis found out that the job in Hollywood that he really would really really wanted they changed their shooting schedule for it so this means that as soon as dangerous loves wraps he will be able to make it in hollywood to start <laughs> on the film by the time they start so no no issue with him taking both films happy ending for all and except then the for end. pierre danielle and uh grant <laughs> and andre i guess but <laughs> yeah i guess andre andre but you know you know what he was blackmailing someone so he wasn't a great dude either nope not that he deserved to die but, you know, that is a little bit what the, what the book was saying. <laughs> Unfortunately, we did not get a New Year's kiss between Nancy and Frank. Oh, oh my God. It would have been, can I just say, it would have been the best. Oh, yeah. The best to have just like a moment where it's like they're counting down to midnight and, and <gasps> it, turn, it counts down to midnight and Nancy and Frank are just looking at each other and they just like <laughs> awkwardly pause and like turn away. And when everyone's like around them, like kissing oh each God. other and all that stuff, they just like handshake. Great job. Yeah. yeah. Good job. <laughs> Miss me, teamwork. Go us. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Our Joe comes over and is like, Have you guys tried the snacks here? And they're like, yeah. Oh, oh, some tension breaker. Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been so good. Oh, oh. that would have been nice. Missed mm. opportunity. Missed opportunity. Well, at the beginning, they're, they, like, make this briefest little reference. They're like, Nancy had feelings for Frank, but she knew she could never have him because of Ned mm -hmm. and Callie. Oh, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I will say, though, when Frank and Joe show up at the very beginning, Frank kisses Nancy on the cheek. Oh, love it. I die. I die. <laughs> <sighs> There's nothing I love more than a kiss on a cheek. It's just the perfect, just perfect, perfect. perfect I know. Perfect. <sighs> anyway the best just the best so good i like it so, more now that we've done the summary i do too i think i think what this book really excels at is the little moments um and i think like when you're reading it like all at once sometimes it's it's hard to remember those and like pick up on them and realize like how great they actually yeah. are and i think that's why i was having a hard time i was like i guess i didn't really and it's because i didn't really like catch like I don't know. I didn't really find the book super compelling, but that's because the plot overall is confusing and hard to follow. And so of course that doesn't compel you to read it, but the little moments that are, that are in there are mm. really good. And so, yeah. Yeah. I think that's what it is. I'm glad we were able to oh, yeah. that out so I could understand my own feelings about the book. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, we have to talk about Jack. Yeah. I'm I I have I have theories, okay? Okay. Because so 
Right when I was suspicious about Jack from moment one, yes, pretty when much. we met him, I was like, it was him. It's him. I was like, Some, there's something about him that's Weasley. Yes. And then we go over to the commercial shoot where Andre's car gets blown up or whatever. And he introduces himself to Frank and Joe as Emily's friend. Mm-hmm. Not her boyfriend. Nope. Her friend. And we're like, oh, okay, what are you doing here? And he is like, I'm here to take pictures of uh, Miss LaFaray because that's basically my job. And now I know that later we learn that she and Brent have a thing going on, kind of sneakily under the radar, I guess. But I would not be surprised if one, at least Jack wasn't stalking her, mm-hmm. or two, they also had a thing going on. Because he, I, he, him trying to say that, like, he's not really Emily's girlfriend, like, I'm sorry, how do you introduce yourself as someone's friend? She introduced you as her boyfriend to Nancy yeah. and Bess, like, an hour ago and you introduced yourself as her friend to someone else like that's that's weasley that's slimy and i just the way that he was like he it's his job to take pictures of marguerite it's like no it's not it's your job to take like publicity photos Mm -hmm. on the movie set like we're not on the movie set we're on like some other like commercial shoot like this is totally unrelated so this is not this is out of your job description Mm -hmm. so he's here kind of like recreationally and yes now later we learn that he was trying to get the ice uh racing gig photographer Mm -hmm. shoot so maybe that's why but why wouldn't you just say that why wouldn't you be like i'm trying to impress whoever with photographs of this event so that i could get this job like why would you why would it be why would you be like taking pictures of her is kind of my job? And also just the context that he introduces himself in. Like if you are working on a movie set, you don't introduce yourself in the context of who you know. You introduce yourself with your job title. Like, hi, I'm the photographer for the set. Not just like, oh, I know somebody else who also works here. But then also I work here. Like mm-hmm. why lead with the, I'm Emily's friend unless you're only there as Emily's friend. Like Bess and Nancy are there as Emily's friend. But they well, don't have introduces, any context He introduces – Emily introduces him to Nancy and Bess on set, Mm -hmm. and he introduces himself to Frank and Joe on the commercial shoot. Oh, I thought it was all one big shoot set. No. Okay. No, 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 no. Okay. It's separate, separate shoots. I thought he was meeting them as like, hi, welcome to the film set. I work on the film set. No, no, no. That makes more sense, but still. But I mean, it's still... I don't know. It's just, there's something about it that doesn't, it does not sit right with me. And when he got, you know, quote unquote, when he was missing, mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know. Like I, they don't, in the books, they typically don't ever do a thing where someone like has gone off willingly. So I didn't think that was the case. I thought it but was, I was like because the police kept pushing that. They kept saying, ah, I don't know. He probably just left of his own accord. I thought they were going to twist it and make it like, I oh, thought- I ran off because I knew I was in danger. Well, I kind of thought that it was going to be that he had run off with Marguerite. Oh, that would have been good. But then it turns out that, and that, you know how Marguerite was like sneaking off? She was sneaking like, off to go see him. I thought she was sneaking off to go see Jack. And so I was so super surprised when it was Brent. I, I, it's just, it was just very weird. Very weird. And I do kind of wonder if there was some, maybe like some different like drafts of this. Maybe. And so like some of the editing, like some of that wasn't 
maybe fully, you know, because, because it was just so weird to me that like, it turned out that she was actually in a sneaky relationship with Brett because why, why does it have to be sneaky? Is it, she has to seem like she's single for like some publicity reasons. So she's just like trying to hide from like paps, her relationship from like paparazzi essentially. And from like the public knowing maybe, but it's not super clear or maybe it's because he's not French Canadian Maybe that's what it was because he mm. made a big deal about not being French Canadian and saying that maybe people who are French Canadian will only marry other people who are French Canadian. I don't know. Uh, maybe. But it's just the whole thing is just kind of weird and it just seems like a random aside and it's like totally unimportant. Like we wouldn't even consider Brett to be a suspect if he didn't act really weird and angry that one time. Mm-hmm. And we wouldn't consider Marguerite to be a suspect either if she wasn't sneaking off. So it just feels like extra and too much. Yeah, and I could have done without both of those little suspicions. I think we just, like, erase that plot line. Yeah. There's so much going on already. We're like, Dennis, Billy, David, like, uh, you know, Pierre. Like, there's just so many suspects and so many, like, rabbit trails that we end up following that that one felt totally ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And I just think it would have been so much better if it was Jack. Yeah. <laughs> But then I get, I don't know. It's just, I don't know. It's just weird. And he feels slimy and weaselly. And I don't like him. Something was off about him. Part of me feels like there could be a really interesting subplot where Jack is somehow in on it. Like, maybe he was going to Pierre to blackmail him, too, or something. And, like, I don't know. Like, maybe, I don't know. He just doesn't feel like he's on the up and up to me. And even, like, the taking pictures of Marguerite at this event, it just felt skeezy and mm-hmm. sneaky and like what are you doing so I'm wondering if he's like trying to get like photos of people like compromising mm. photos to blackmail people and maybe that's something that he does that'd be interesting yeah okay another thing I was really confused about was the sports car that mom was getting hit by the sports car in the street after they were walking home from mm-hmm. dinner or something is that supposed to have been Pierre too or they didn't ask him that, I don't think. Maybe. No. Because it's either... So our two culprits, right? It's Pierre, Danielle. Oh, maybe it was Danielle. Oh, it could have been, yeah. I was going to say, it was either Pierre, Danielle, or Grant. And it doesn't seem like it would be Grant, because Grant doesn't seem like he actually wants to harm anyone. He's just right. doing what he views to be harmless, like, like sabotage, right? Things to just, like, make the thing... Make things take longer and mm-hmm. ruin the movie, right? But... So it doesn't seem like it could be him. Pierre and Danielle are the only ones who seem to want to cause, like, actual harm or, like, threat to harm. And so, but at that point, I didn't think that they knew who was investigating. Right? And why did they... So why would they do that? Why would they try to run them down? And two, why did they send the note to Nancy at all like because do they know that nancy is like investigating and onto them i thought i know danielle knows the hardy boys are investigating but does pierre know that nancy is investigating or does danielle know that nancy is investigating have they ever met no they should uh, they shouldn't i don't think not at that okay point. when does nancy when does nancy call pierre Nancy calls, no, no, yeah, no. Nancy calls Pierre in chapter 12, and then she gets the note in chapter 13. 
So maybe it's that. Okay. Maybe that's why he sends the thugs because she calls him about Jack. That would make sense. Yeah. But they don't, the, the, the car, the race car accident happens in chapter. No, that happens in chapter 11 in chapter 11. The, the race car thing does. Yes. Them almost getting run over. Okay. So maybe. And that's right after they find out about the prize money theft. It's also very soon after they question Danielle. So maybe them trying to get run over, them almost getting run over by the race car is because they, the, it was directed at the Hardy boys because yeah. they were investigating Danielle. It and then the note right. to Nancy was because she called Pierre. Mm-hmm. That must be it. Okay. It just seemed very random and out of the blue like to yeah. be and like unrelated and it never seems to be something that we talk about ever again but i bet it was danielle because i was like well who who of our culprit drives a race car neither grant nor pierre drives cars but or dri- drives like races right right but, but danielle does it was probably so her it must then. have been danielle yeah yeah she was gonna hit joe with her car after <laughs> after trying to hit on him Mm-mm. but it was all just a ploy Corey. remember so. she wasn't actually into him she was just using him to, to get out of, uh, yeah. Which is what, see, because that's what I was saying about uh, her, like, you know, blowing up at Andre and then being led away by Pierre. Mm-hmm. I was like, what the heck is this sexist crap, right? But no, it turns out she was just faking it the whole right. time. Yep. That is honestly, that is a really good twist. And I did not see that coming. Yeah. I had totally forgotten about Danielle. Oh, I suspected her for sure. We got to the end and I was like, oh, oh, that's right. Oh my God. And it makes, it's like, it's such a thing that you just like overlook. Like you just, the fact that she and Andre, you know, she said that they had a relationship. I just took that at face value. Right. Like that made sense to me. And I was like, okay, sure. Like what other reason would you have for getting mad at him like that? You know what I mean? Like, such such a red hair like such yeah. a good misdirect so yeah i love that yeah. i love that that <laughs> mm. <sighs> yeah oh it was also confusing because they kept like the the hardy boys kept saying like oh this is for nancy's mystery nancy needs yes. this for her mystery and then nancy's like oh i need the hardy boys to know this for their mystery and it just yeah. like it kind of threw me off because i'm like what mysteries do we have we have the sabotage on the movie set but then we also mm-hmm. have the prize fund money but then we also have the murder which is kind of mm-hmm. both of their mysteries and then yeah, I guess. all of the mysteries kind of converge into one and become one big mystery and it I don't know like yeah it, at the beginning it felt hard to like distinguish of no that's just the Hardy Boys mystery because we know that they're all gonna do it together anyway right they're all it did yeah it did feel kind of like an irrelevant separation mm-hmm. a lot of the time yeah and I know that like that Frank and Joe were supposed to be here on vacation to start with, right? And they didn't really have any reason. But I feel like once they had a mystery and once, like, Nancy, you know, I should feel like they should have been together and collaborated a lot more yeah. than they did. Um, like, just working together. And But again, I think that because the mystery was so big and so complicated, you kind of had to have them split up just I to, guess. like, accomplish all the different things in the plot. But if you had simplified the mystery and just had them work together more often, I think it would have 
overall made it a lot better. Yeah. But yeah. Oh, well. Oh, man. What else you got? (laughs) Hmm. I feel like there's something else I wanted to say, but I forgot what it was. I will say with the Hardy Boys and Nancy not working together on a on 100% of the mystery, it did make for some really fun scenes where it was like, all right, now everybody break. Nancy, you go do this. Frank yeah. and Joe are going to do this. Bess and Dennis are going to go do this. And everybody just kind of like splits up and then comes back together. So they, they worked really well together. There was a lot of teamwork, even if they mm-hmm. weren't like always 100% of the time physically there together. Yeah. 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 I just think there could have been – a better balance of that and working. There definitely could have, though. Together. Yeah. Yeah. Felt like they were always apart. And I just want to see Nancy and Frank together solving yeah. mystery. <laughs> it's still fun. It's still fun. Yes. Definitely. Well, definitely worth it. Definitely appreciate it. Yeah. Just for, you know, Frank and Joe, of course. Yes. I just don't understand how... I can love Nancy Drew as a series so much, but my favorite characters in Nancy Drew are characters that aren't even from this series. They're from an entirely different series. (laughs) I just need to read the Hardy Boys, probably. I just need to start reading Hardy Boys books. Evidently so. Maybe we'll do that one day. (laughs) We have to. We'll have to do that someday. Oh my gosh. I want to see Nancy Drew do a cameo in... Uh, a Hardy Boys and a Hardy Boys. Oh, you know that's kind of what this is. Okay. Um, I I mean, like, I don't think I don't think they have any separate. Sorry, right now I'm holding up Nancy during the Big Lie, which Corey and I were just talking about previously a little bit. Um, this is the Nancy Drew comic book. Um, and I don't know if they. I think this is the first one in that series, so I don't think they have standalone Hardy Boys comics. I don't know. I haven't actually researched it. But in this comic, it's kind of like the Hardy Boys story and Nancy comes into it. So it's kind of like that. But that's what I want to read. I want to read a story that that is first the Hardy Boys and then Nancy Drew comes in as opposed to it being Nancy Drew and then the Hardy Boys come in. You know, I want to break the mold a little bit like that. But I guess to do that, I'd have to actually read Hardy Boys books. We have a list on our website of the comic books. I'm just going to pull it up really quickly. Nice. So there are the Nancy Drew graphic novels that were released, like, as part of the Girl Detective universe. But then there's also Mm -hmm. the one that you have has another few, like, set in the same universe. So there was The Big Mm -hmm. Lie was first. And then there's one that's just called Nancy Drew. And then there's, like, a children one that's called Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys, The Mystery of the Missing Adults. And then there's The Death of Nancy Drew, which is the mm-hmm. same artist as The Big Lie. I think those are the only two that he did. And then there's Nancy Drew in the Palace of Wisdom. Yes, which, is, which I also have. You have that. And then there's the Nancy Drew Omnibus Volume 1. Okay. That's the same artist as the artist for the, the Girl Detective ones. So maybe it's just all the Girl Detective ones in oh, one big one. Yeah, that's, that's what it's got to be, is. right? That's got to be. That's probably what it, what it is. But those are all by Dynamite Comics. Yeah. I, okay, I, sorry, now I feel like I'm on a rabbit trail, but I have to say that I love the illustrations of Nancy during the Palace of Wisdom so much. That Nancy, Bess, George, I believe that's Joe and Frank. Okay. And those are a couple other characters, I think. Actually, I don't know if Joe and Frank are in this. I don't remember. It's been a long time since I read it, but... 
I feel like the title would say Hardy Boys if they were in it because the other three yeah. that they're in does no, say. no, no. They totally are because I because re- Bess and Joe get together in this one. Mm. Um, spoiler. <laughs> Excellent. Um, oh, now I want to read it. I just want to read it again. But I love this art style so That's much. Cute. I think it is so cute, and I love it. So I need more of these, please. Oh, how cute. She's in Bayport. Uh-huh. <laughs> so good. Love it. So good. Um, yeah, but I don't think I have anything else to say about New Year's Evil. I think it's fun. I think it's a good one. I think it's just a little bit um, convoluted, tough, complicated, too many characters, too much going on. But I think overall an enjoyable read and some really great moments in there um, for a super mystery, especially lots of great, you know, Nancy Frank moments, of course, but also yeah. Frank and Joe moments in there, too, and uh, Nancy Best moments as well. So I think it's definitely worth Worth a read is if you're a fan of uh, the super mysteries, especially. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Agreed. And it's super festive. It's just a yeah. fun one to read right around the new year anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. So, flashlight score? Oh, tough. Oh, three and a half? Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking. Three and a half flashlights. I feel the same way. Yeah, it was good. It just wasn't. It wasn't anything great. It wasn't anything yeah. to write home about. The things that were good about it were a little bit too small to earn it a four star yeah. rating, you know? And some weird, and there's some weird unresolvedness to it and some yeah. weird, I think, plot holes in it um, that I, I think don't, of course, don't warrant a, a five, you know? So. But Frank and Joe being there did make up for a lot of the complaints that we had about it. So True. It kind of evens out. It's all great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Okay, regular Drews. Mm-hmm. Do we want to talk about what we are covering next? Of course, of course. Oh my god, I'm so excited for this one because I've never read this one. Um, and it's, you know, uh, illustrated by, or at least a version of it is illustrated by one of our very favorite um, illustrators. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the Greek symbol mystery, number 60. So we are going back a little bit or actually i think these were were these released around the same time um before the files uh, that kind of depends let me let me grab it oh yeah it's got ruth sanderson's signature in it because she oh, yeah. autographed it for me <laughs> uh no this one was 10 years prior so great symbol was published in 81 Yes, so we're going back a little bit. Uh, we're going to be covering the uh, digests for a little bit of time. Yeah. This is, you know, we're super excited uh, for this one, like Corey was saying, because Ruth Sanderson illustrated uh, the cover of one of uh, the versions of the Greek symbol mystery, and we love Ruth. She is fantastic and amazing. We were so happy to get the opportunity to meet her um, in October at the Nate Senior Convention. Um, so happy to finally get to read the source material for the illustrations for this one yes and the source material for the inspiration for labyrinth of lies as well because i believe this book was uh, loosely inspired that game which was the 31st pc (laughs) game but um because i mean the games at that er in that era were not direct adaptations by any means but it'll be interesting to see what exactly they pulled from this aside from just the greek setting so yes probably it uh, my guess is probably just the greek setting but that's the setting yeah I'm excited if Nancy gets to go to Greece. That would be cool. I mean, yeah, look at that cover. She's just standing among some ruins. Doesn't that, I mean, right there, doesn't that make you want to know more about it? 
Seriously. It does for me. Seriously. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we are very excited to get to that, and we hope that you will join us next time, Regular Drews. Yeah, we'll see you for some digests. Thank you for listening to Regular Nancy Drew. Email us at regularnancydrew at gmail.com. If you like this episode, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also follow us on Instagram at regularnancydrew and Twitter at regularnd. You can also support us on Patreon. Patrons at the $3 level vote on upcoming episode topics and get exclusive access to our Scoop Sesh series. And all patrons receive early access to each episode as well as weekly bonus content. And to all you regular Drews out there, thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening.